0: Theology of the Body Institute. This is
1: the Ask Christopher West podcast.
0: You know what, Wendy? My heart is actually beating with excitement. Really, really. Really? Really. Because you're doing something with me. (laughs) Thank you. For However many years, 20 years or whatever, I've been traveling the world and my work seems to take me away from you. And here we're doing a project together,
1: podcast, you and I. Yeah, that's great. I'm excited.
0: You and I used to actually do things together when we were in ministry, when we were first married before the kids came along. Yeah. This kind of marks in my heart a, a new time in our married life. It's kind of exciting. We, we're doing something together.
1: Yeah, that is really nice. And I, I hope that all the listeners who haven't heard my voice and maybe wondered why is she so, you know, hidden and in the background can forgive me for that and just trust that I am happy to be with you and share things with you and um, maybe just have been a little overwhelmed by some other duties in my life over the past several years. So I'm excited to be here with you. You and I
0: had lunch with Jason Everett uh, a couple months ago. And yeah. And he was meeting you for the first time. He said, I thought you were just a myth. I was beginning to wonder if you even existed. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I'm, I'm for real. You Here exist. Am. Woo! <laughs> Here we go. So we're doing this podcast, Christo- or what is it called? Ask Christopher West. Yes, that yeah. would be I. But okay. guess who gets to ask Christopher West?
1: I do. Wendy
0: West. Wendy West gets yes. to ask Christopher West.
1: But I'm going to be asking him your questions. So we're so grateful to those who've already submitted questions for our podcast first podcast and look forward to more questions to come.
0: Let's jump in. What are some of the questions we're getting?
1: Okay, absolutely. Uh, Let's start with a question from Facebook. Andrea asked, if you launched a TOB dating site, Mm. what features would you want included?
0: Mm. A TOB dating site? Well, I have thought about launching a TOB dating site over the years because I, I have I have some reservations about online dating. Sure. It's great. I mean, I've met so many couples. We've met so many couples who've met online. I don't have any problem with the principle right. of meeting somebody online. But the problem I have with some of what goes on on these online dating sites is you, you start listing a, a long list of qualities that you're looking for in somebody. Mm-hmm. But qualities are repeatable. Mm-hmm. You can find those same qualities in any number of persons. Yeah. So, so you. I mean, you and I talk about this a lot. About. It's got to be love. Is for a person. Love is not for a list of qualities. That's right. You have awesome qualities. I I love qualities. I love your mm-hmm. hair. I love your your hair color, your eye color, your mm-hmm. your fun personality. The. The way you smile and laugh. I mean, I could go on and on and on with the qualities, but if my love is, is only for your qualities, I can find somebody who has those same qualities or even more attractive qualities.
1: Well, and here's another thing. There are so many unknowns... That's so exciting. But like, think about how you love the way I crack an egg. <laughs> right? <laughs> you couldn't have put that on My a dating wife, site. Because that's a unique right. Wendy thing. There is
0: I, I have to share this with the world. I don't think I've ever shared with this world this with the world. My wife cracks eggs see. in a way that I've never ever seen anybody crack an egg. She takes the egg and with authority, she takes a knife or a fork and she whacks that eggshell with like a perfect schlack. <laughs> And the the gooey nectar of the egg comes out with precision and Thank you. It's just it expresses your person.
1: Uh, Yeah, I can thank my mom for that. That's the way she cracked eggs. That's just what I grew up with. And (laughs) I
0: I never I never would if if I had met you online, if online dating had even existed when you and I we're we're dinosaurs, so
1: we are a little old. We didn't even have
0: email or anything when we started. We we started exchanging letters.
1: Letters and then voicemails.
0: And then voicemails. We didn't even have email.
1: Yep. But
0: anyway. Um, Sorry, that was a little no, 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 diversion.
1: Was, but, it's just an illustration of how when we really love a person, it's not because of something we thought of beforehand. That's right. And that's decided right. to look for.
0: Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. The person is a mystery. So if I were starting an online dating service, it would have to. How would I do this? I don't know. That's another question. But it would have to include, a, not just include, it would have to encompass and 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 present this idea and unfold this idea and help people understand this idea that you're falling in love with a person mm-hmm. and it has to reach the person not just you're not going to the grocery store with a, a list right you're not going you know, it, you're not uh yeah it, ha- it would have to be personal it have to somehow help people discover persons you know, this whole idea of swiping someone away because they don't have the right qualities. Yeah. Uh, those initial, and, and let me back up and say that there's nothing wrong with being attracted to somebody's qualities, but John Paul II calls that the raw material of love. And we have to be really careful that we don't confuse the raw material of love, those initial attractions, uh, that we don't confuse those with love in its finished form. And and I'm, I want to speak from our own experience here, too, that if it had just been, you know, qualities, I don't think you and I ever would have fallen in love. True. Because there were qualities about both of us that we weren't necessarily attracted to initially. But once we got to know the person, yeah. that's when love started to crack open. And that took me to a whole new experience of what love is. Did you notice you said love started to... Crack. Ah! <laughs> I think
1: it was that was it was when I cracked the egg. Yeah, that was what sealed the deal.
0: <laughs> I think you're on to something. Actually, it does because crack the way you crack an egg does express your person. That's why I love the way you crack an egg because it expresses your All right. person. All
1: right, thank you. Maybe maybe in a future co- podcast I could just crack an egg so you could hear it. We, maybe least. we need to
0: get a cr- egg cracking sound effect. We can record you cracking an egg just so right. people can hear it.
1: Okay. Okay, we will do that.
0: (laughs) Shall we move to another question?
1: Absolutely. So this question was uh, submitted anonymously, and the question is, do I still need to learn about TOB if I'm in a committed monogamous marriage?
0: Absolutely. Okay. John Paul II says that above all else in married life, Couples should be learning what he calls the spousal meaning of the body Mm -hmm. and what that calls us to in married life. I wish I had the direct quote in front of me. I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing from memory here. But he says he does use an expression like above all else or before all else or it is most essential in the course of married life that people understand the theology of their bodies, that our bodies are a call to love in the image of God. Now, we, we might have that concept already somewhat understood. I hope if you're in a faithful, monogamous marriage that you have some basic ideas of, of that self-donating love. But the number one response I get traveling the world, sharing theology of the body, is people who've been raised Catholics, been going to Mass all their lives, come up to me and say, how come I've never heard this before?
1: yeah. I think too, um, we all have, uh, you know, wounds in our own hearts from our experiences or even pain that we carry for people close to us, you know, painful situations that, that are, um, have left us with questions unanswered. Why, why did these things happen and, and what is the state of our, our hearts and, um, why is loving in the way that we're called to love so difficult? um so I think there are a lot of um helps to us as people, but also um, it enables us then to be a help to other people when we have a deeper understanding of of our story, which theology of the body is certainly telling us the story of humanity yeah um, and then I think too you know we can be. Keep following the rules of a faithful monogamous marriage without yeah, experiencing a... the meaning or the depth that that is meant to bring about in our lives, in our relationships.
0: Imagine, let's just look at our own 23-plus years of being married and mm-hmm. imagine if we hadn't had this knowledge that we've gained yeah. from John Paul II's vision. I, I can't even begin to imagine what our married life would have been like if we didn't have that to draw from. Yeah. And and not just married life. I mean, it, obviously, there are direct implications for marriage, but life itself, the, the way we see the world is so different because we're wearing these glasses that everything we encounter, everyone we encounter, every human circumstance becomes not just a, a mundane thing, but it, uh, on the other side of the ordinary, there's something extraordinary. I think that's what Theology of the body has taught me and us.
1: Yeah. Um, And I think as you keep listening to this podcast, you know that so many, there'll be so many examples that would flesh out the answer to that question. Yeah. Maybe it's not just do I need to, but why? How can it help me? And um, yeah, I think you're just going to keep discovering new ways in your um, things that will strike a chord in your heart um, that. That we can't know yet, but stay tuned.
0: I like you telling the future that we're going to keep doing this. I'm I'm so excited. Oh, thank you.
1: Okay, you ready for another question?
0: Yeah, I really, really, I'm really excited to be sitting next to you, my (laughs) dear love. (laughs)
1: Thank you. This question was submitted on Facebook by Matthew, and he asks, "How do you share the beautiful message of the theology of the body?" with people who are held up with legitimate struggles in life? For example, someone who's in poverty, struggling to feed their kids, or fighting a severe disease. Do you think it would be difficult for them to think about the depth of the theology of the body when they're preoccupied with their real struggles?
0: This is a really great question, and it is one I have thought about many, many times. Mm -hmm. I'm recalling a time I went to Haiti, yeah remember that when was that do you remember
1: mm, i'm not sure five
0: six years ago yeah. um, and it was my first experience doing this work this missionary work in a third world country right and seeing the poverty and i wondered you know is this too much they're just struggling to get food yeah day to day they're struggling to find shelter day to day they're struggling with so many things that I just take for granted as provided in, in my life. And I did wonder, um, how's this going to go? How's it going to, am I going to find a place of connection with these very impoverished people? And I was so impressed by the response. Uh, I do think we can make some distinctions here you know, the, the kind of talk that I'm going to give in Haiti is going to be different than if I'm invited to an academic conference. Of course. I'm not going to be teaching, you know, in-depth academic theology to very simple people. Right. But nonetheless, very simple people can have a deeper grasp of the essentials of what academic theology is supposed to be teaching us. Hmm. Than those who have a great grasp grasp of the academic concepts, but aren't in touch with their own inner poverty. Right? Blessed are the pure in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Mm -hmm. because theirs is the kingdom. Uh, I I remember a quote from John Paul II, in which which he says he's addressing this very idea that there's a danger of just keeping the theology at an academic level, Mm -hmm. and he says oftentimes the simplest of people. Uh, simple folk, I think is the expression he used, very simple folk have a deep and savory knowledge of God. Mm -hmm. And they might not be able to put the vocabulary to it, but man, I'd rather have a deep, savory knowledge of God without being able to talk about it than being able to talk about it and not have a deep, savory knowledge of God. So all this to say, I think this questioner brings up some some good points that in the day-to-day struggles of life, you know, academic theology could be a challenge to push the pause button and read a read a book. Uh, but nonetheless, these people, I would say, in the real struggles of life, are all the more in touch with the biggest questions of life about meaning and existence and suffering. Mm-hmm. And this questioner brought up the 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 question of disease. Um, yeah, and the suffering that that brings in our bodies. You know, as somebody who's in the midst of deep deep suffering are they capacitated to to read a book probably not or listen to a talk maybe not or go to a lecture probably not but i think we we're we're already in in that if we have this idea is theology is over there and then we have real life over here which includes poverty and suffering where we're missing out on what theology is supposed to do
1: yeah
0: theology is supposed to connect us in those deepest most painful questions of our lives with the God who loves us in our poverty, loves us in our disease, uh, loves us in our sufferings. And I found Theology of the Body has certainly done that for me and for us in our sufferings, in our questions, in our poverty.
1: Absolutely. I think, you know, just in in that question are contained a certain kind of like when we think about hierarchy of needs, you know, Mm -hmm, and the, mm -hmm. the bodily essentials kind of coming first, and yet isn't this beautiful? We're talking theology of, of the, the body. body, and and so the very fact that you're kind of asking, but what about people whose bodily needs haven't been met? How can you even consider theology? Well, can you consider theology of the body? Of the body, can we experience the the hunger as you know having theological meaning because it is theology of the body.
0: I hope everybody just heard how my wife gave a much better answer than I did to that question. It
1: wasn't a better answer.
0: I think it was more insightful, oh, okay. and I'm so happy to sh- kind of show you off to everybody. <laughs> That's my wife, everybody. That's Wendy West. That's her Not deep in the house, feminine, <laughs> feminine genius coming out, and I'm loving it. Well,
1: thank you. Um, and I think, too, just another thought that came to me when as you were sharing that. I remember meeting someone many years ago who was working in uh, ministry to elderly people. And she shared with us that the motivation or the, the kind of uh, guiding principle of her ministry was Paul VI's document, Humane Vitae. And we kind of looked at each other because we're talking about people past childbearing age, yeah. and Humane Vitae is all about contraception you know and she said well human vitae is about learning that i'm meant to be a gift mm. and so that is her whole ministry with the elderly is is that a turning helping them to recognize i still am a gift and so you know even those in great suffering in other ways aging is an example but to learn that they're meant to be a gift I mean, is Theology of the Body not showing us that? So, Yet, yet again,
0: people out there listening, Wendy's in the house. That might become a tagline of our podcast, okay. Wendy's in the house.
1: I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> moving on. <laughs> I don't know if we have time for another question I'm on this, this podcast. I'm loving this. Maybe huh? I should be asking <laughs> yeah? you the questions. Okay.
0: <laughs> I think we have time for, yeah, we have time for another. Okay. Okay, great.
1: So a question from Pam on Facebook. Um, she says, Starting from a place of having never been affirmed as a child, I'm working to accept that I am worthy, lovable, and valued by God. Mm. But it's difficult Mm. to move past bad life choices from my prior mindset. Mm. How do you move forward towards what theology of the body provides?
0: Mm. I think we can draw a lot from our own experience here to begin to formulate some thoughts for this dear person. What's her name, Pam? Pam. Bless mm-hmm. you, Pam. Yeah. Pam. We love you, Pam. We know that struggle. We know it very, very well. Um, in our relationship, uh, I don't know, Wendy, maybe you could share some of your own experience growing up and in, in struggling with where do you find your worth. Remember the uh, the Nike shoes thing that we mm-hmm. talked about Mm -hmm. Um, I was, and I, I bring this up because it's a kind of a symbol of my own neurosis here. I grew up thinking there are two kinds of people. You have the lovable people over there and the unlovable people over there. And I have to do absolutely everything to get myself in the lovable column, which was synonymous in my mind with the cool column. Yeah. And so here's a story that Wendy and I point to in our own relationship where she... She received a very important lesson growing up that I did not receive growing up, and I rejected it growing up and had to learn the hard way many years later, and it has to do with shoes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Let's go back to maybe fifth grade. It's being fifth grade right now. Um, in my fifth grade, um, there was a lot of emphasis and you know whether that's true now I don't know but on on name brands at the time um this thing called designer jeans that had a certain somebody's signature sewn on the yeah. on the pocket or um uh, your bag that you carried or your shirt your just clothing in general and one of those was a very popular shoe were Nike running shoes at the time and they had this big nike swoop like taking up the whole side of the shoe Mm -hmm. it's kind of the sole decoration on the shoe was this big colorful swoop on the side and um i had a mom who was kind of practical kind of thrifty and uh, knew that kids outgrow things very quickly and that things with name brands on them they cost more just for having that name on it they aren't more you know Serviceable. They're just char- you're just paying for that and paying that, for the swoop. Yeah, and my mom wasn't up for that. No way, not getting me any swoop shoes. Um, and I remember getting a pair of shoes that had no brand name on them that had a a purple whale on the side of the fake It was the fake It, it, was, the trying to, it was trying swoop. to look like a Nike. <laughs> it was a purple whale, and I I, I took care of those shoes. <laughs> like my Nike wearing friends did but I always knew they weren't the real thing and um I I felt I had to accept that that I was not going to uh, be able to find my acceptability in by wearing the clothes that other people valued because I they weren't provided for me in my life. I was provided with fine clothes. There was no problem with them but they they didn't match the standard that was around me and um it was something just i had to let go of because i i couldn't i couldn't accomplish it and um i guess as we've kind of looked at those struggles with you know identity you know that it's it's unfortunate in a way to have put your identity in say doing things that other people are going yeah. to approve of you know especially when they're meaningless things yeah. Because then you're left with, you know, that actually isn't a valuable assessment of who I am or my worth. Um, so I think in a way that I felt like I benefited from kind of, there was a, maybe a grief I went through that I that I wasn't able to do those things, but, you know, the, then I let it go. And uh, I was grateful for that.
0: I can say without a doubt you benefited, and I benefited in turn, because you at a a much earlier age than I were wrestling with questions of where does my real identity come from? Mm -hmm. And those lessons that you had to learn because your mom wasn't budging, Mm. uh on the I'm not getting you name brand shoes, mm-hmm. which is so stupid. I mean, looking back, I mean, it's so stupid that you would place your identity in whether you have a shroop on your sneakers right. or not. But, man, can I understand and relate mm-hmm. because I had some of the same tussles, as you know, with my mom, but I was the one who would not budge. If I didn't, I remember very clearly uh, going into eighth grade and, Dock siders, those sh- leather shoes, mm-hmm. you know, were, were the, the thing. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they're, they're the real, quote, real, yeah. Sebago docksides sides uh, that had the nice little shiny dock sides on the side of the shoe, and mm-hmm. they were like the top of the line thing. And they were, you know, this is 1983 or something, and they were 40 bucks, And then you got the imitation dock sides that were 15 bucks. And my mom said, they're just the same shoe. It's just a different tag on the side. I'm not paying $40. And, and I refused. I said, then I'm paying it. I'm, I'm going to save up my own money and buy them. Because I could not. I absolutely could not. I was so insecure. I was placing my identity in all the wrong places to such a great extent that there was no way in hell that I was going to show up the first day of eighth grade mm. and not have name brand dockside shoes. Right. And, and IZOD shirts, remember the IZOD shirts with the alligators? Oh, absolutely. And then they had the foxes and the dragons and all <laughs> the, you know, the, the knockoffs. Well, whenever I got, I, I actually, we had all these hand-me-downs from my aunts and uncles. And, and I, uh, I would take the, the alligator off their old shirts that were torn up. Or had stains on them. I would remove the alligator, and I'd get the dragon brand or the fox brand or whatever, <laughs> and I'd tear off the dragon, and I'd glue on my Odd alligator. Because there's no way in heck I'm going to school without, if it doesn't have an alligator on it. Because oh, wow. this is where I placed my identity. It was yeah. so messed up. You you know, I was, what was I doing? I was placing my, ide- because, like like this, what was the name of the question-er? questioner? Pam. Pam, that's right. Pam, I'm sorry, I forgot your name. Pam, God bless you. You said you were unaffirmed growing up. I too, in so many ways, was unaffirmed. I felt really unaffirmed. So where did I seek affirmation? In the wrong places, in being the cool kid, in having the right clothes, and so-called right clothes, and riding the right bike, and listening to the cool music. And I brought these patterns of seeking my identity in the wrong places right into our marriage. And and I remember, and it's so painful, this is not news to you, my love, because we've had to work through all these issues. But I remember when we were just falling in love and getting to know one another. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember you showing me pictures from your childhood. And I realized, Oh my gosh, if you and I had gone to the same school, I never would have invited you to my eighth grade party. I wouldn't have hung out with you. You were, you were not one of the so-called cool kids. Yeah, And you know, twenty-three years in the married life, I say, who was the fool here? You, I mean, I'm learning from you what it means to be cool. Uh, to be to be cool, if we're going to even use that word. In other words, to 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 be aligned with truth, to be in right place in the universe. I'm going to define that as cool, right? Okay. That to be in great. the right place in the universe, to be aligned with truth. Let's call that cool. That's mm-hmm. the cool. That's what it really means to be cool. I was so uncool, and you had you had to learn very early on what real cool is. Is getting aligned up with your heavenly Father who knows you and loves you. Not that you've done it perfectly. I'm not trying to right. hold you out as having it all figured out, but. You came into our marriage with a much deeper security in your identity as a person. And that has taught, I have, I have had to learn painfully to take the masks off and seek my identity in the right places. And you've, you've been the one who've really taught me how to do that. So I thank your mom. And I thank you. I mean, my mom tried too, but I was too stubborn. So I, I yeah. thank you for early on in your life learning that lesson and seeking your security in the right place. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know towards. if we've answered Pam's question. Yeah,
1: and I'm still looking at it, which yeah. I know you can't see the question. So I, I'll just um, add a little something because I, I'm sure that this is part of what she's yeah. getting at. Um, one of the things she also included was she said it's difficult to move past bad life choices from her her previous mindset, and so you know, just looking at that aspect of her question, I think something. That um, is so valuable in theology of the body is um, when we learn that um, many of our desires are are misdirected. Yes. But it's a good desire that the Lord placed in our hearts. So, like the desire to know that we're loved and valued is a good desire. Amen. And so, when we look at those past choices, I think something that we have found so helpful is to Ask the Lord to kind of show you yourself in the, that time of making a choice that you regret and ask him to show you what, what were you really desiring, like what's the deepest desire that motivated that choice? Because he wants to show you how he wants to meet that desire, how why he put that desire in you. And I think that that is a huge help when you are trying to move towards, as you, you put it, towards what the theology of the body provides. Absolutely looking at our past choices is part of the forward movement um, because it, it allows us to understand God's plan for us and his actual presence in our lives, even when we were making choices that we
0: now regret. I think this is probably one of the most important things that you and I have learned <clears throat> in our years of trying to live out the theology of the body mm-hmm. and, and understand it and pass it on to our kids is this idea that even behind our misguided desires, there's something good. Because that's what it is. It's, it's a, a good desire that got misguided. It got right. twisted up. Mm-hmm. And when we, take, when we take salvation into our own hands, so we look, okay, I have these disordered desires how do I save myself? How do I heal myself here? We really only have two options, and that's to repress all those desires and just consider them bad and shut them down. Or we look on our own for false solutions to satisfy those desires, false gratifications. I remember learning from John Paul II that there's this third way Mm -hmm. uh, where we can't save ourselves here, but we open our poverty we open our wounds, we open our bad choices, our sinful desires and sinful decisions to God's mercy, and he comes in, as a, and as we let him in, he redirects the desire itself towards what we're really looking for. Right. That's a different paradigm than a lot of people have. And I know we've learned that from theology of the body. Absolutely. There's another way. So Pam... Be not afraid to open up all those wounds from not being affirmed. Uh, Don't beat yourself up for wanting to be affirmed. Recognize where you've taken your, your identity needs and your love needs to the wrong places. And learn not to squash those needs, but learn how to open those needs in all your humanity and all of its ugliness or whatever it might involve uh, pain fear hurt uh, places where you need to forgive people as those places in your heart get opened up then the lord can come in uh, heal the wounds and redirect the desire towards what you're really desiring amen amen i'm wondering if we need to rename this podcast this is just our first Try at it, right? This is our first episode. It's exactly. called "Ask Christopher West." I don't know. I think that's kind of not the. It's, I mean, you're you're not just at. You, I mean, I knew this would happen. That's why I wanted you on. <laughs> I wanted the world to see and right. experience for themselves the wealth that comes out of your heart. I think I've already seen it, so I'm I'm excited about it. I'm excited about keep keeping Thank this you. thing going. With Thank you. you. Hey guys, if you would like to have one of your questions addressed on our podcast please submit it. You can go to askchristopherwest.com. Submit any questions you'd like. You'll also find our show notes there. And please post a review. We'd love to hear from you just to know how you feel about our new podcast, what you're learning. Mm -hmm. We would also love to invite you to a free online course, a little mini introduction to some of the themes of the theology of the body. The course is called What Do You Want? And it's based on that line from 1st, Words out of the mouth of Jesus in the Gospel of John, that deep question about the desires of our hearts. What do you want? You can learn more about that free course at AskChristopherWest.com forward slash free course. We'll see you next time, guys. Take care. The Ask Christopher West podcast comes to you from the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione and production by Sounder and Key. From the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the... Ask Christopher West, (laughs) Codpast.
1: Try again.